Hello and a very warm welcome to Be With Champions. This is a show with inspiring, entertaining and informative stories shared by the world's greatest athletes and high performers. You can learn how they got to the top of the world and how they've been able to stay there. Each episode will delve deep into the topics ranging from training and competition, nutrition, sleep and recovery to the mental strategies, all so important when building a strong person or team and everything else in between. Yes, I'm Phil Liggers and I commentated on Greg Bennett during his Olympic career and I'm here to introduce you to him. The man who was a world number one triathlete and has been at the very top of his sport. So here we go. Please meet your host, Greg Bennett. Take it away, Greg. All right, today I have a remarkable guest. You see, to get to the top of any one sport is is truly remarkable and very difficult. And there's very few in the world that have been able to get to the top of two sports. Well, my guest today has managed to do it for three sports. He was an Australian Olympic rower in 2004 and won the world championships as an under-23 rower. He then went on to become a professional cyclist for the Cannondale professional cycling team, amongst others, and rode several of the Grand Tours. He's then switched gears again and gone to triathlon and he's had numerous wins already and he's already had a fifth place at the Ironman World Championships, uh, obviously setting a number of course bike records and just simply incredible that a guy can transition from one sport to the other and um, I'm a huge fan and I really appreciate you joining me today, Mr. Cameron Worth. Thanks for joining me. Thanks very much, Greg. It's uh, Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure to be beyond here and it, it's crazy because out of you know all those uh all those sports and experiences i've had over the years people often ask you know what's the what's the thing that stands out and mm. uh i'll never ever forget you know being in zurich and uh breaking three hours on the marathon for the first time you know mm. <laughs> that was um that was probably the biggest challenge i've ever faced in my sporting life people saying i'd never be able to learn to run i'd never figure it out and um, i had to bike easier and so forth and uh, been determined to not prove them wrong, but believe in the process that we put in place. And um, yeah, it's. Uh, but it's, it's truly a- remarkable. I mean, to break three hours for a marathon is. I mean, you've got to almost change your body shape. You know, it's not just a. It's not just mental. It's not just heart and lungs. I mean, you. You've gone from being a lightweight rower, which forgive me, is that seventy four kilograms? Seventy seventy kilos. Yeah. 70 kilos. So you've had yeah. to be under 70 kilos to be a lightweight rower, yeah. then a professional cyclist. So you've never been a big heavy guy, but then yeah. running to to be able to run a sub three-hour marathon, it's it's really not jogging. It really takes a dynamic stride and it's truly running where you've got to have loose hips and, and everything else. So it's pretty remarkable, mate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, well, I got to admit, I mean, anyone that saw me early on, I, I didn't look overly natural running, uh, even if you go back to Kona in, you know, mm. say 2017. And, um, uh, but, um, my, my dad was quite a great runner when quite a good runner when he was young and, and still is certainly a natural runner. He, he used to run against Rob DeCostella and, you know, was Bobby's key rival growing up there in Victoria. And, um, yeah, so he used to be quite baffled why I couldn't run <laughs> to start with. <laughs> and, uh, you know, even at 55, he could still do a sub-three-hour marathon. So, um, 
just within the family, it was a bit of a bit of a you know a welcome relief yeah. more so than anything. Dad would say, you know, you call yourself a professional, crikey. <laughs> so yeah, um, but it's incredible. You've you've taken that. You haven't just run sub three hour. You've gone and in Italy just recently, the uh, the Ironman you won there. Didn't you? You ran a two forty five off the bike, yeah, right? yeah and, and pretty comfortably um, too. So yeah. Um, yeah, so it's. But, you it's know, coming. it's all about – it's time, you know. It, it, this year mm-hmm. we, we made a lot of sacrifices in the training with the other two to make a big impact on the running. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for the first four or five months of the year, I, I barely rode my bike. I probably rode my bike 10 times that whole, you know, the, in those months wow. in total. Did you miss um, it? Did you miss it coming from professional cycling? That must have felt uh, not really, really weird. Uh, <laughs> I was too preoccupied with how sore my legs were from running. But what we were <laughs> – what we were concerned about was, um, you know, if I if I had the fatigue from cycling, it was going to be too hard to make a significant difference and change in the running, which, you know, we knew I had to do if I wanted to be a genuine contender. So, um, yeah, that was uh, that was the, the the plan we um, we adopted. And and power wise, I, yeah, I certainly haven't gone ahead in the last twelve months. But by the time I got to Kona, I was at the same power as I was the year before. So. Um, yeah, so obviously haven't gone backwards, but um, everyone mm. else is everyone else is now coming forward. So uh, you know we're obviously going to have to strategize a little bit in the next twelve months to um, yeah see if we can keep moving moving up the mm. uh, moving up the rankings. Well, your progression's been pretty remarkable, even at Kona. Um, you know, is that was your third year in 2019, correct? Yep. Of yeah, racing yeah. Kona. Yep. And you know, it's three years later, and and you're somebody that. And I love this. I've always been a racer and I'm a big believer in if you want to get good at something, go do what you want to do. And you've really taken that to heart in Ironman. And I've always said to my wife, Laura, and among others, that look, if you want to be a good Ironman athlete, race Ironmans. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people struggle with the idea of running a full marathon off the bike and and mentally or physically, they just can't cope with it. But you've been, is it about four or five marathons a year for the last three years? Yeah, well, I mean, the first two years was all about learning. Um, You know, Mm. I guess uh, everyone knows, you know, Tim Kerrison, the head of performance at Team Sky is from that time, you know, looked after me and, and had a, you know, been sort of, I guess, the strategist with regard to me progressing in the sport and um his theory was that you need to race a lot because you've never done it and Mm. running so slow uh you know the i could swim that far and ride that far any day of the week and it's really no drama (laughs) um so in Mm. fact most days i'll swim and ride for four hours you know four or five hours without a problem in the world but you throw in a marathon on top and of course that's that's fatiguing but fortunately if you're running slow you know, obviously, the faster you go, the more impact and damage you do to your muscles. And um, obviously, everyone knows that from, you know, getting injured generally is a result mm. of running too quick, too much. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, so in those first couple of years, while I was still running slow, we were able to take advantage of that. And, and at times, race, you know, I raced Nice one weekend and, and Roth the next. <laughs> so, mm. um, and Roth was actually a better race than Nice, which was crazy. And See, so, that's phenomenal. Um, and I, I think you're, you're, you're going to change. You're almost a, a pioneer because you're going to change the way that people look at how it can be done. You know, I mm. think everybody's kind of going, oh, you can only do one Ironman a year. You can only do two a year. And you've come along and said, actually, guys, and, and I agree with you. I, I think we could all swim bike the distance when, when you, you're a fit professional athlete. You can yeah. swim bike the distance nearly every day of the week and there's no damage on the body whatsoever. And, yeah. and my wife, Laura, and I always said, speed kills. 
speed yeah. is what kills you in the sport and and that's why you know most of my career was short course and yeah. i was on the knife's edge with knife edge with um injuries all the time but as soon as i went long course it was like okay let's back off the speed and it's time on the legs and it's a lot of just maintaining strength and and yeah. not overdoing the speed it's amazing how you can back up yeah, yeah well, i mean let, that's it you've got to be strong you know that's that's really yeah. last year i guess in kind obviously i was i was leading for a long time and I saw everyone pass me and um, the one thing that I'll never forget, you know, Patrick and, uh, and Bart uh, particularly, you know, just, they were just so strong, you know, and as mm. much as I kind of tried to rally <laughs> a little bit, mm. I, I couldn't, but I guess Ben Hoffman was another classic example when he passed me in the closing miles. It wasn't like, you know, you, you watch a Kenyan on TV, they're just, I mean, they're almost digging their heels into the ground. It's almost like they're digging a hole in the concrete. They, that's they exactly hit the ground it. so hard, but they're just grinding away, and you just like a freight train. Then it, it's not going to stop. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've sort of taken that to heart, and I think this year in Kona, without it being spectacular, that was really what my run was. It was quite a strong run, and um, it was it was really solid, mate. It was yeah. a two fifty five, and I and yeah. you know. It was three weeks after Italy, and I know we've talked about you that you can handle a lot. I, I you mm. know, I'm curious as to what you think, and we can talk about later or now if you like. But you know, yeah. the the racing Kona three weeks passed, and I only mentioned Kona is it's still another Ironman, but it tends to be one that out of all the Ironmans, it tends to be the one that throws people off their game just a little bit, just a yeah. few percent. And yeah. uh, and you mentioned uh, you know Ben Hoffman and. Uh, you know, T- Timothy yeah, O'Donnell's no, no. another guy. They're just yeah. very, very strong runners. I trained with yeah. these guys in Boulder and, yeah. you know, I was always the dynamic athlete that could run, you know, 29, 10 sort of for, for 10K. But these yeah. guys were never fast and I kind of was like, oh, who are these jokers? And yeah. then I start training the long and just see the way they can just maintain that, yeah. you know, that that tremendous strength throughout. And so I guess that, that's sort of a double-sided question I've just given you. That We're, we're talking about being strong but – how much of that strength? Do you think there was anything lost by doing Italy three weeks before? Uh, I, I don't think. I mean, I personally think that that was the perfect preparation. I have, it would have been the perfect preparation had I been going to Roth. Um, I think the big problem was that we didn't account for, and, and this is sort of kind of stupidity on my own behalf, that I, I don't handle travel very well at all. I mm. like to be settled. I'm a bit of a creature of routine and, um yeah i feel that you know flying to la the next day or two days later not you know that's a big deal but then you know try having a week to sort of semi-recover but also basically adjust to a, a time zone that's by the time you, get, you know we got to kona on the friday so we had a few days in la to sort of break it up there's a week gone you know um mm-hmm. and then of course you get to you get to kona um and then you you think okay the plan was to you know do a good solid week of training um, which didn't really happen. You know, it was sort of hard to kind of get going again and, mm, mm. Um, you know, you convince yourself that you are and then, of course, it's race week. So then you're freshening up again and, you know, so basically you add in the week where, well, I didn't really taper for Italy. I mean, anyone can see that. I obviously share my journey on Strava quite, um, you know, just mm. to, I got nothing to hide. Um, but, um, you ba- yeah, you had sort of that week that was a bit compromised. So you got a week there, you got a week after, you know, all of a sudden you get to Kona and it's four weeks of doing 
nothing. You know, well, in my opinion, nothing. Nothing to improve. No, I, I agree. I mean, there's a lot of guys that talk about they struggle even doing the 70.3 world champs, you know, yeah. that four or five weeks before. And it's yeah. it's not the race itself. It's the tapering and recovering yeah. either side and then having the taper into Kona itself. And all of a sudden, yeah. you're like, wow, out of the last six weeks, I've had three weeks basically doing very, very little. Very and, little. Yeah. You know, when you see Jan Fredino, um, for the listeners yeah. that don't know, this guy's won now Kona three times and, and yeah. this year he set set the course record and yeah. is truly a remarkable athlete who we'll have on the show here soon. But he actually didn't do 70.3 worlds this year and yeah. unlike the previous year where he'd won it and then, you know, pulled up lame, got mm-hmm. injured and didn't get to race the world champ. So it's interesting to see and it's like I, I think um, that's the beauty of the sport. You're constantly mm. learning. You're constantly trying to figure yourself out what works and, yeah. you know, and, the problem is next year you're a year older, a year more experienced, yeah. and you know it's hard to say what's. That's the chess game that we play, and um, yeah, I the worst thing was I woke up in the middle of the night and 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 thought and had a horrible feeling that I'd got it wrong. I'd I'd wished I, <laughs> you know, we originally planned on doing Wisconsin, coming to the US quite a lot earlier, racing Wisconsin mm, five weeks mm. out, then you know having a week to adjust and and get out to Kona and then doing a good solid block and. Mm. You know, we kind of changed at the last minute. Um, I was training so well here in Andorra. I, I basically live, I guess, at Boulder elevation, and um, mm. I can I can go down to six seven hundred meters in the valley there, uh, mm. the the Spanish Valley, which leads up to Font Remue. You know, it's a very popular training ground for triathletes. And yeah, I was just in such a great routine, and I guess Italy showed that. I mean, that was that was not only was it my best race, but if you look at my data, it was actually one of the most physically easy ones I've ever done. You know, my average heart rate was the lowest it had ever been, um, was the stablest it had ever been. Um, you know, I was able to do a drug test straight after the race. You know, I was well yeah, hydrated. hydrated. So yeah. <laughs> um, all those little indicators were like, wow, we've nailed this. And yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was sort of that. As I said, that travel thing, and um, I woke up feeling that way. And then, of course, you're on the start line of the swim, and my swim's a little bit vulnerable as it was. And while I was still, in essence, with the same sort of group as I was with last year, you know, I was powerless to do anything about, you know, Jan and the guys in that group ahead. And um, and then once I was on the bike, I just didn't have that spark. You know, I could grind mm-hmm. it out. As I said, it was a bit like the run. I was able to grind that out. I was sort mm-hmm. of on a hiding to nothing, you know, with that group and. People would, you know, say what they want about Sebi and Lionel and all the other guys sitting behind. But the reality is I've, I've earned that right to be that guy. They don't have to do that. They don't have to help me. I mean, I'm the donkey that went and broke the bike course record and led the race the last two years. They were well within their rights to do what they did. And, and, and the reality, they'll admit, they couldn't go any quicker. It was easier for them to sit behind me. So mm. um, that's why they did that. And uh yeah, I just didn't have the spark to, to get into the race. So that was just a bit, you know, it's what it was and we'll learn from it and try and do it better next time. But still yeah, wasn't but that you, bad. You've certainly thrown the cat amongst the pigeons. I mean, you know, that race in Italy, I just, everybody was chatting on social media and, you know, what's he doing and blah, blah, blah. And and then is he going to crush it? Is he going to, you know, and it, it was kind of like, you know, yes, we're talking about Jan Fredino, the, you know, Olympic champion, and Patrick Langer, the return champion, and, of course, Alistair Brownlee, the two-time gold medalist. But then it was like almost more than anybody else's name was this guy, Cameron Worth, who's been in the sport three years yeah. and has suddenly been, hang on. And and I think that's what's incredible about you. And I, I think, you know, as much as you're a natural athlete in the sense that you're pretty tough on yourself and I should know better and oh, that was a stupid mistake, I mean, 
you know, for such a, a virgin really in our sport, what you've been able to do, you know, in the swim and the run, it's just, uh, yes, but there's an expectation to some degree on the bike, but even the bike, it's, it's a time trial 180K. It's not, yeah. you know, a, a grand tour or, or some of the spring classics that you used to in the cycling. It's a different yeah. kind of riding. And, yeah. but you've been able to, really transition into the sport i think almost better than we've seen anybody we've seen a lot of sort of single sport people come into the sport of triathlon and go yeah i'm gonna make it i'm gonna kill it you know and they have this you know i've i've run a sub four minute mile so i'm gonna go to the olympics and yeah. uh you know and then they realize there's a swim and bike before it and they they get crushed and you <laughs> you you're one of the few that truly has uh, come across from uh two sports which again like i said at the top of the show is i just think it's extraordinary and I guess what I'd like to do right now, um, I mean, there's, you know, you and I can chat all day about this stuff, but I'd like to wind the clock right back. And mm-hmm. um, really, the first question I have is, you know, when did you sort of have your, you mentioned your dad, but when did you first find your passion sort of for endurance sports? Yeah, watching Welshie, you know, in, in Kona, no 89. Yeah, watching the delayed telecast with yeah. Daryl Eastlake on Wild World of Sports. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you're the Sunday, same as me. <laughs> Sunday afternoon and um, about four months delayed, you know. Well, it was all probably about a month delayed. I think I remember it always coming out in November. Yeah. Um, and at, at that point, I didn't know the result already. You know, I didn't really follow the sport, but they'd put it yeah. on there and I was just – I just wouldn't move from in front of the TV. You know, I was just uh, just glued to it. And then following his journey to finally break through when he, you know, won was in 94. Um mm-hmm. That, uh, yeah, that was really, I mean, my first taste. And, it, and then, I guess, during that time, came across the Tour de France and, um, and, and so forth. And obviously, same thing, you know, the half an hour highlights package every night on SBS. And, and mm-hmm. then um, the reason for rowing was, um, was uh, yeah, I, I moved back to Tasmania to, do, to start high school. I was living on Lord Howe Island, you know, in that period with Tim Reid, actually, which is pretty crazy that, couple of guys that grew up on an island you know 10k long and or 10 miles long and half a mile wide there's uh two of us sort of you know punching a punching our way through at the top of this sport is um pretty cool um but uh yeah moved back to tasmania and um at the time there was a guy who won gold in rowing in uh barcelona his name's stephen hawkins he rode with peter anthony and uh Mm -hmm. they um stephen so this is now 96 had he got sick after that or at the World Championships a couple of years after that at Mexico City at altitude and hadn't been able to recover. So he was getting into abalone diving and that was my dad. My dad had basically pioneered that industry. So, you know, one wow. thing I learned from a young age, that the top people <laughs> find the top people in, the, in yeah. the field that they want to do stuff with. So we had this Stephen Hawkins who was a hero of mine you know, at the dinner table learning from my dad. And I think that was the craziest part, you know, me sitting there, this guy who was an absolute icon, particularly in Tasmania, and to me, sitting there gl- gripped and glued to everything my father would say about diving. And, um, you know, it taught me the importance of you can learn from anyone, you know, from uh, from any walk of life, you know, especially people that have been successful at something. You can you can learn it. And, and I guess that's what planted the seed for rowing. <laughs> and, um, and obviously the, the standard was the Olympics. Um, I uh, I got to admit I was quite young, so I never really believed I'd win a gold medal. But I just wanted to make that team and um, um, was able to do it. So that was how that you know it started with Welshie. Of course, there was a bit of uh, cycling interest in the middle there, and you grow up on Lord Howe Island, so you ride your bike everywhere. And 
and then moved to Tasmania and got into rowing and and I've I've subsequently gone full circle. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty interesting. Was there a time in all that that time frame where you were like, actually, I've I'm I've got a bit of ability at this. Like, was there a measuring stick that you had against someone like a Tim Reed at Lord Howe Island? Was there was there yeah, a moment where you're like, my first hey, I'm ever a bit of an race was, Yeah, my first ever triathlon was against Tim Reed, literally against Tim Reed. There was a, we were probably the only two in the race. <laughs> there might have wow. been three, but I think we dropped the other kid pretty early in the swim, and um, we uh, <laughs> went stroke for stroke in the swim. We didn't know anything about drafting then, or, or Tim Reed probably did. He probably sat on my feet. I can't remember, little sniveller. But, um, but uh, yeah, then on the bike, I did drop him. I always had a bit of an edge on the bike. But I remember I, I was borrowing my grandfather's race bike and the chain came off and I couldn't figure out how to get it back on. So we were riding past one of the hotels and I just dropped the bike and went and stole another one to finish the bike leg. <laughs> 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 and Tim passed me while I was still on the bike and we finished the bike together and started the run together and um I just can still so clearly see running along um uh, running along uh, L- L- Lagoon Road um back to the school where the finish line was and um his little that duck waddle he has with his heels up and legs and arms <laughs> flapping around everywhere and yeah he beat me he ran away from me he was always oh, a better bastard. runner yeah, but I'll never forget that vision. But um, anyway, the good thing is he hasn't beaten me since. Uh, but no. it, it, it wasn't until Kona that we face each other again. <laughs> so that was quite a, just quite recently, a dramatic, right? Yeah, quite a dramatic rematch. Well, two years That's ago. That's awesome. But, so um, those that don't know, yeah. just to quickly interrupt, Tim Reed yeah. is a 70.3 world champion. I mean, we're not yeah. talking about some slouch. Yeah. This guy is an Australian guy that won uh, – 70.3 world champs, I'm going to say Sunshine three or four Coast. years ago. Yeah, yeah, on the Sunshine Coast. So, yeah. you know, Pete the fact Kinley. that – Kinlay in a sprint. Yeah, that's right. Sebastian yeah. Kinlay in, in the sprint down the hill. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty extraordinary that uh, you two from – Lord Howe Island, for those who yeah. don't know, you described it like 10 miles long, half mile wide. I mean, it's yeah. – I didn't even know there was a population that lived there all year round. But, yeah, I mean – 300 it's, people. 300. 300 people. Yeah. yeah, 30 kids at the school. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If you're just for geography, you know, quick on that, it's a, a basically an equilateral triangle. If you draw a triangle from Sydney to Brisbane and then out into the ocean, that's that's Lord Howe. That's the easiest way to describe <laughs> it. So she's out there. Yeah, yeah. And then so you so you take up rowing. You you you're back in Tasmania. You decide to start rowing for your school, I assume. Yeah. And then uh, I was actually in obviously- Coxton for a long time. They would they wouldn't. I was so small they would never let me actually row. Oh, mate, that sounds so got, familiar. Yeah, someone got <laughs> injured or someone was sick or someone didn't show up that I'd get to jump in the bow seat and um, that- yeah, and uh, that was how that was I was about fifteen or sixteen. I was the same. So I, I went to a school in Sydney where rowing was the big, you know, the big the big sport. And my brother yeah. was, you know, first four rower and stroke. Mm-hmm. And I went down yeah. the boat shed going, yeah, I'm going to be a rower like him. And yeah, there they were. They, I was a coxswain for three years. And <laughs> and, and and for me, it was like I, I could I, – that was when I realized I could run because for part of the training, I got to – you know, I was often coxing the older crews that were three or four years older than I was and uh, – and we'd do these long sort of five mile, five k runs, and I could beat yeah. the whole crew. And I was like, "Huh, yeah. I'm a bit of a runner." So, you know, for me, we've got familiar stories there where yeah. rowing really was sort of the start. The other guy that started off with our, in our sport that from a row was Hamish Carter. Oh I yeah, I remember you know. that. Yep. Yeah. So Hamish yep. Carter won the 2004 Olympic gold medal and was one yep. of the greats through the late 90s and early 90s. And I, I raced him. Oh. 
millions of times. But yeah, yeah his background was rowing, never to your level, never to Olympic yeah. standard, but he was yeah. still a reasonable rower growing up. And yeah. do you think? Do you think? Uh, Rowing is a very disciplined, it's a very tough sport being that sort of five to seven minute type racing that's that pure threshold where you do long, long hours to prepare for really an all-out sprint for, you know, that five to seven minutes. And there's tremendous strength and technique involved and also you've got to have really great heart heart and lung, a great engine. Um, Do you you feel like doing that sort of in you – in your sort of late teens really helped develop the engine that you needed for all your other sports? Uh, for sure. I mean, uh, as you know, particularly as I got older and, and progressed in the sport, you know, 17, 18, in that, well, mm. I guess I was done by the time I was 23, but through that period, 19, 20s, 21, 22, you, you know, I remember we'd call, we'd have a seven at 18, I'd be doing six hours Saturday. So I'd, you know, go down in the morning and I'd row for an hour and a half, two hours, and I'd go home and do weights for about an hour and then I'd make up the rest of the time cross-training. Sometimes that'd be on the bike or, you know, a bit on the rowing machine and a bit on the bike and a bit running, you know, whatever. Mm. As you know, rowers will have a crack at anything. And and um, and then that went to eight-hour Saturdays uh, as I got a bit older. And, and so although it's, uh, yeah, exactly a, a sport where it's quite, um, yeah, quite short and ex- explosive, you you really, you know, you're brought up, taught, you're being, you get taught to, focus on every training system because mm. um you need you know an extreme amount of resilience and uh yeah resilience i guess um to be able to handle that sort of violent effort for a short period of time and so uh yeah being able to touch on every part of my energy system i think was a was a huge advantage you know mm. as i went through the sports but not only that also being having to execute a motor skill you know under that sort of mm. fatigue is mm-hmm. a huge you know, we a great lesson to learn. So yeah. not getting frazzled, you know, like when I get tired, I never, I always am thinking about my technique. You know, I always mm-hmm. focus on that and that, you know, from rowing because as you know, your arms blow up and everything. The moment your technique goes to crap, you don't go anywhere, particularly if you're in a crew. So mm-hmm. um, that's uh, that's probably the biggest takeaway was was learning how to, you know, be very precise and, and good with a with a very technical skill under an extreme amount of stress. So. It's very much like swimming to some degree. You know, with rowing, it's about the catch and the finish and power yep. throughout and holding the rhythm. And I always feel like when I'm swimming, I'm always thinking about the catch, you know, grabbing good water, accelerating through the stroke. And it, it's very much the same sort of technique form that you can take from rowing into swimming in, in that kind of mindset, you know. I haven't, um, I don't, I'm not, it's taken me a while to get those feelings, but. Uh, I'm finally, it's funny you say it, but I'm finally starting to get that. I mean, I guess my first few years, I've been searching for the load. I've been mm. searching to feel connected um, and which has probably made me a bit sluggish and uh, not connected. And mm. uh, just in the last sort of few weeks, I've, I've felt like I'm actually hitting the water the way you would, you know, place before you push and it just sort of picks you up and throws you and you can accelerate mm-hmm. through. So. Um, yeah, it's really interesting you say that, but it's the first time I've really started to feel those, um, and, and, you know, that bow wave, you know, plowing through the water Mm -hmm. and yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but you know, people forget, you know, people can be critical of my weaknesses and whatever, but it's as the guys at Nike have said, your progression has been perfectly linear with how it should be. You know, it takes time to compete at this level. You know, are you you, kidding? I I would have said the direct, you know, it'd be, I don't know who's critical of you. 
Yeah. Who, who in the world would be critical of what you're doing? I, I think uh, that's obscene. I, I think to be able to do what you do is incredible. And swimming compared to rowing takes a lot of flexibility. That's yep. and, and often that's the one that cyclists and, and especially as older people getting into the sport of triathlon struggle with is that flexibility through the shoulders. Mm-hmm. And swimming is very much a rotational sport. You actually swim on your side more than you do flat. And that's yep. often very difficult to do if you're tight through the shoulders and your back. But the more years you do it, the more you'll find that you, you know, your shoulders are going to start give you a bit more and you have a bit more range. And uh, mm-hmm. Okay, so then you were you were – when you qualified for the Olympics, was that a surprise for you? You were only 21 or 22? Yeah. How old were you? Uh, yeah, I was yeah. 21. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was, the, I guess, I mean, a surprise. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was, of course, it probably was more so for others. It was my goal. You know, I mean, it was my dream. It was something that I had set myself to do and believed I was capable of doing it. So I'd say a relief was more, um, mm. even though at 21, no one would have been too harsh on me had I have missed the team. But, um, you know, as, as uh, my dad would say again, he said, you've always done enough to satisfy your ego. And, uh, <laughs> and that's about it. <laughs> he said, and I wish, he said, he'd say, I wish that equated to winning more. I wish you cared about that more. So, um, <laughs> no. Yeah. so no, I was, I was probably more relieved than anything. And, yeah. um, and the problem was that was such a big step to make that, that I was very then hard for me to refocus on actually performing at the games no, um, fair enough yeah. you know at, at that point you know sort of come from a fair way back i mean we'd won the worlds at under 23 level the year before for sure which just at least gave me a foot in the door but you know in rowing there is a it's yards you know that it's miles mm. difference between underage and, and elite level you know you're mm. racing men all of a sudden is you know <laughs> it's different yeah yeah and, i think you'll um, find most, most sports are like that they have the under 23 because it is such a separation between yeah you know yeah yeah and so, um, yeah, so not, not to be arrogant, but for sure it was more of a sense of relief. And, uh, but, you know, the, the, the crazy, the great thing about it was that it gave me belief that, yeah, if I do want to do something, then, and I, and I genuinely in myself felt that I was capable of, like I would have been genuinely disappointed had I not have made it. Um, I think I've been realistic in my goals since of, of what I want to try and achieve. And if I say I want to take something on, um, yeah, there's there's generally a little bit of, of science and thought process behind it that I believe I can actually do it. Mm. Mm. No, but you bring an intensity. I can even just tell by the way speaking to you, one of the things that both my wife and I did when we approached the sport was we wanted to do everything we could with intent. And, you know, I loved, you know, living in Boulder and every there was a saying, don't call the Bennetts after eight. And <laughs> mainly because I was trying to be the most professional that I could. And yeah. because I wasn't as talented as some of the others, I think there was more talent out there. But I believe that you could you could possibly uh, make up the differences if you just did everything that you could within your power to become your best. Yeah. And uh, you know, you've you've then you've done that through rowing, you've done that in the cycling and now you you're doing it in the triathlon and and the scoreboard is evident of the the life that you're leading with absolute intent. And that's, that's why I really wanted you on the show. And so, okay. So you've gone to the Olympics, like you said, it wasn't probably just just on that. I think there was one, there was one statement that was made to me and you, I don't know if you came across him, but Barry Barnes, a former Australian basketball coach, he was, he was in charge of the residences at the AIS when I went there. And, and when I met him, he said to me, Cameron, you've got to see this place like a tube of toothpaste. 
the more you get out of this, the more you squeeze it, the harder you squeeze it, the more you'll get out of it. And that was 2003 into 2004, and that was where I made the games. And, you know, I guess since then, um, I've been trying to surround myself in an environment where, you know, there's everything I need to succeed um, is, is sort of what I've, what I've always tried to do. And then once I have that, then I, you know, commit 100%. So, um, yeah, absolutely. That's, <laughs> that's most certainly how I look at things. Like what you've heard so far, then make sure you never miss a podcast by clicking the subscribe button now. This show is only made possible by you, the listener. And if you'd like to support Greg, please visit the Be With Champions Patreon page. Your support, very much appreciated. Now, back to the show. So, so you left rowing a year or two after the Olympics and decided to take up cycling. How yep. was that transition? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was kind of, uh, I wouldn't say forced. I mean, it was something I'd always thought about and, and the rowing guys sort of thought it'd be funny if I did try it. <laughs> and, um, and so that year at the World Championships, I actually was fourth at the elite level. So certainly showing progression towards the game. So it was quite baffling for Rowing Australia that I'd decide to switch. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd had some problems with tendonitis in my wrist that year. We had a, you know, a bit of bad advice when it flared up in, uh, in Italy uh, while I was training with a, with a doctor there. Um, they have you know, different <laughs> ways of treating stuff in Europe. And I uh, ended up having to go back to Australia to have, um, have surgery and, and uh, blew up at the World Championships in the final, actually. I mean, we'd, we'd won our heat in semi-final quite comfortably and, and certainly looked to be favourites for gold as, as we'd sort of shown throughout that season and I fell mm. apart. And I felt pretty bad about that, you know, letting my mate down and mm. so forth. And I guess had a bit of time to think about that on the bike when I got home because I had to give the, the, the wrist a good rest for a couple of months and... Um, yeah, I guess I got on the bike and uh, I never looked back, so to speak. I, mm. I loved it, and um, and again, I I did some stuff with the with the Tasmania Institute of Sport Cycling program, and at the time we had, you know, and we still do some very good cyclists from down there. Richie Port was there, and um, to name one, and uh, Matthew Gost, and um, Wes Salzberg. You know, quite a few guys that ended up in the World Tour, and yeah, I thought, you know what, I think maybe I can be competitive here, so entered myself in the national championships that, that January and um, was fourth in the time trial and, and the, the national team said, well, what do you want to do? We're, we're prepared to back you if uh, you want to move to Europe and have a crack at this. And I said, why not? <laughs> wow. So you've really turned an adversity into a real strength there. That's, a, that's phenomenal. Like it's, uh, well, I didn't want I mean, to get you, behind you, the you know, I mean, I was just training hard with the same intensity I'd have in rowing and on the yeah. bike and, um, and so, and it was, yeah, pretty crazy where it, you know, where that put me. Um, so, uh, yeah. And then you signed with, was was it Champion System, your first professional team? Uh, yeah, no, but the first was actually Liquid Gas. I, I had a bit of a, I signed there at first. And then when I did a contract with Neural, I, um, I was getting ready for the, my first Grand Tour of the Vuelta and I uh, had a stupid crash in a small race leading into it and broke a couple of ribs and, um, I didn't think it was too bad. I felt like I could get through the welter and, you know, they could potentially um, repair uh, as it went on. And But the the team didn't want to risk it. You know, they said, listen, you know, you've mm. you, you've got another contract. Look, just recover and you've, you've had a great first year here and that's just, um, you know, go home and have a rest and come back. And anyway, I had, a, had an Italian agent and since then I've never used an athlete agent. He 
went berserk at the team, you know, told them they were stupid, told them that the uh, the replacement, you know, I could ride with a broken leg and be better than the replacement. And it was completely not my voice, but there was some bad blood there and uh, already with the agent and the, and the team boss, Roberto Amadeo. And, of course, they responded by saying, well, he's fired. And, mm. um, and fortunately, at the same time, they said, you know, you fire this bloke, you can come back, but your contract's tied to him. So, and being an Italian agent, mafia, asshole, um, wouldn't let me out of it. And I couldn't get out of that deal with him until the middle of the next year. So uh, oh, wow. I already knew I had a contract back with Cannondale, but um, Champion System, fortunately, that, that sort of gap year <laughs> yeah. um, gave me a spot to do some racing and actually had some great results that year and uh, went back to Cannondale, certainly a much better rider the, the second time around for the last few years that I was there. So. That's awesome. Uh, we we spent uh, many years with Champion Systems, so they were our sort of number one sponsor for my wife and I. And uh, yeah, Lewis, I remember, lovely guy, just yeah, lovely guy. Yeah, 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 based out of Hong Kong there, and uh, yeah. they they did a lot for our sport over here. I know Javier Gomez was with them, um, yep. for the Europeans, and Laura and I had them in in the US, and yep. just a great a great company to work with. And um, you know, then I remember them saying, oh, yeah, we're going to have our own professional cycling team. And so yeah. I got a kick out of it when I read that you were a part of that team that uh, yeah. was racing mainly around Asia, Asia I think, yeah, wasn't it? That yeah, team, it, was yeah. That. it was It was great. We did a bit in Europe, but it was nice to me. I could have a year at home and yeah. sort of, I guess, figure out if I even wanted to go back to Europe. And um, I was actually second in the Tour of King High Lake uh, wow. during the year, yeah. which is a two-week race at altitude, not something you'd expect someone that grew up on an island to be able to be competitive at. I think uh, – Tom Danielson was the only – he'd finished – he might have – yeah, he'd finished second. I don't know if an Anglo's ever won it. So even, uh, you know, to this day, that's something that the guys, you know, now I'm obviously involved with Ineos or, you know, Sky then Ineos. They'll yeah. often bring that up. People remember that I was second at that race because it was, you know, I was surrounded by Colombians and Iranians and all these people that grow up at altitude. And at the time, it was one of the biggest prize money races in the sport after the Tour de France. So – um yeah, wow. that was that was a cool Gee, experience and yeah. gave me a bit of belief that I could potentially be um, a bit more competitive can, at the World Tour level, which I was when I went back. And what were your goals then? When when we're talking, you know, you had goals when you were rowing to you know go to the Olympics, and then you you were satisfied there. What when you went into professional cycling, was there a goal you had in mind? Yeah, I did. I had a dream of you know I really liked Ivan Basso for some reason. Uh, I when I was rowing, I. In Varese, I remember uh, seeing him training there because that's where he lived and that's ultimately where I lived. And I thought, wow, what a legend. And he was at the time the only one that seemed prepared, you know, able to fight with Armstrong. And, you know, I kind of always liked the underdog and thought how cool would it be to ride with him one day. And that was before I even thought about <laughs> cycling. Mm. So uh, once I got in and I was training, um, you know, Cadell was great. He was instrumental. He really took me under his wing and took me to the Mappe Centre in in Italy there and, and Aldo Sassi, you know, uh, offered to coach me and I did a couple of years in the amateurs and once I sort of got was ready to turn professionally, he said, well, you know, I, I think you should go and ride with Ivan. That's what you wanted to do and I couldn't believe it when uh, it was as simple as that, you know, it was a phone call and, uh, you know, <laughs> this guy's going to be there and, um, yeah, and it, it just sort of never really worked out. Um, certainly the first year I was meant to ride the tour with him. Um, I got quite sick uh, when I went to the tour of California I'd say just, you know, so anxious and, um, you know, knowing I still needed to prove myself a bit there and, and go back for the Dauphiné and, and just, yeah, stupidly couldn't handle it. I mean, I was obviously, I think I've proven 
physically more than capable of, <laughs> of riding there. And, um, and then uh, when I came back in 2013, he was preparing for the Giro and, and we had a great lead into that. And he, he looked like a, you know, a real favorite for it. And um, yeah, he pulled out, he had a, you know, some sort of infection a couple of days before the race oh. and, and didn't even race. And then that year, the Vuelta did the big build up again. He was in fourth or, or fifth and, and I'm actually in Andorra. I live there now and the stage to Andorra, it was just a snap, you know, raining, freezing cold day. And I guess he was so skinny and on the limit that he, he literally just froze and he just stopped and pulled out. And I was like, wow, that, that sort of dream goal of, of helping you in a big tour never really worked out. And I guess I found myself a bit lost the following year. You know, I was just sort of not getting what I wanted. Um, I couldn't get myself right to be in good shape for the tour um, and, and be selected for that race by the team. And I guess the team sort of changed focus with Peter Sargon there too around the tour. And mm. Yeah, and I, at the end of that year, we, um, we merged with uh, the Garmin team. And so, you know, obviously everyone that had a contract, it was, you know, they had to work out how we'd all blend together. And I, I said to Cannondale, as in the company Cannondale, listen, I, I just don't really... I'm just turning up for the paycheck now. Um, um, I, uh, I don't really want to finish my productive years of my life um, participating in a sport, which is what I feel mm. like at the moment. And, and they said, well, if you want to, you know, we obviously need roster space. So if you want to take a year, we'll honor your contract, move to the US and um, you can be a bit of an ambassador for us and, and, and take your time to do what you want. And I had every intention of, of trying to get a job on Wall Street and, um, and going and doing that. But, uh, incidentally, during that time, I, I, uh, I guess that year, firstly, I met my future wife when I was holidaying in Aspen. So that was, uh, you know, that was a bit of a change. And then, yeah, she's an know, American girl too, right? She yeah. is from uh, from Maryland. She's from the East Coast, but she was yeah. uh, she was living there. She was working in a hedge fund there. And um, and then, uh, yeah, I I started actually looking for a job. I did a couple of triathlons for a bit of fun, um, just to keep fit, and I loved it. And um, the guy that I kind of wanted to work with and we'd agreed that, you know, we'd, we'd give that a go. He, at the final hour, just said, you know, why would you want to do this? I mean, you're still, you're, I was 32 at the time. He said, you're still young. You, you love sport. You can tell, like, do you really want to sit behind a desk? And uh, I said, well, you know what? I don't mind triathlons. And he said, well, go and give it a go. And, um, yeah, that was that. I did. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. You've kind of gone from team sports to individual. And not to say that, triathlon you know and, and i'll talk about this in a moment about building your team and everything but how did that sort of go where it's triathlon is all about you once the gun goes and and uh you don't have to worry about a teammate in, you know in the boat with you or you don't have to worry about teammates going up the road or what's happening within you know a cycling peloton yeah was that a different kind of sensation that it was just purely about you yeah i loved it and i think and dad you know he feels that this is definitely the most comfortable i've been in a sport it was the first time I went to Oceanside in 2015 because I was living in LA and thought I'd go down and do that. Cannondale were a sponsor and I remember being in the swim and just being, just had that hunger back to get to the front, you know, to compete, yeah. to fight for yeah. my position, to, to do what I could. And this was just in the age group as I remember swimming over the top of, you know, 60-year-old women, but I didn't care. You know, I just dunked them out of the way and <laughs> I was just <laughs> I was just in a rush to get through the swim and and then on the bike, obviously, just wanted to get to the front and started catching the pro women and passing them. And and then on the run, I hadn't run in ten years, so that was uh, I think I still ran about yeah uh, 
I, I, I remember I didn't get chicked. Not on the run. Definitely Heather Jackson <laughs> ran faster. But overall time, I didn't get chicked. So I was wrapped with that. And, yeah. Um, but I definitely had a different intensity. And then Cannondale said, oh, you should do an Ironman. And so that was later in the year. I went to Whistler and did that. And same thing. I remember, you know, I'd never worn a wetsuit before and um, putting, uh, putting the, putting the gold, well, used Vaseline. That's right. I'd used the wetsuit in Oceanside and got chafed. So I had the Vaseline this time all prepared like a pro and rubbed it all over me and, and then put my goggles on and obviously rubbed it all over my goggles. So I got in the water and couldn't see where I was going and thought, oh, it must be fog. And um, sure enough, started the race and noticed I wasn't bumping into anyone. I was swimming the wrong way. And, but it was fresh water. So I just threw the goggles and did the swim and yeah, I was passing everyone and had that same intensity and uh, it was a horrible day. So on the bike, I was the same thing, passing everyone, made, made my way into the pro men's field and I think I actually <laughs> got off the bike second or third in the pro men. Um, I wow. caught up and, um, and sort of shuffled through the run and yeah, just loved every single what, second what of it. What year was that? What year was that? Uh, 2015. Okay, so very recent still. See, yeah. what what's interesting is like basically, like you said at the top of the show, it's I've come full circle. It's almost like you've taken the long road, but yeah. you've come back to probably something that was your your initial passion from, you know, Lord Howe Island all the way to Kona yeah. Ironman. I mean, it's – and I think what's interesting is um, it's not like that you were sitting on the sideline watching. I feel like you were learning the trade but in a different way. Like we yeah. said earlier, you, you were – rowing and you were developing a great engine and you were learning about technique and then in cycling yeah. you were learning about team and building a strong team around you and working with the best and yeah. and you were building up the miles in your body yeah and, and that's one thing about the cycling the reason i got the opportunities was you know when i did a lab test at map a center i, I broke fabian cancellara's you know aerobic power test which they didn't think would be broken and then climbing i could break ivan basso's climbing records on the local climbs you know and i could train better than anyone it's just i couldn't translate that obviously into a race so i think that's the thing about cycling it wasn't that i was a a bad cycle it wasn't that i was not a good athlete it was that i just wasn't very good at racing and and people all i guess questioned me about talansky's transition i said well you know he's obviously also he obviously is a great athlete but he was obviously also a very good cyclist he was obviously (laughs) very good at racing a bike and that is very different to you know, an all-out effort on your own where your own stamina and, 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 and physical, you know, capabilities are 100% tested. So um, I said to people when he came across, you know, be very careful. Don't be too critical on him. Results in one sport mean absolutely zip all in another. Um, mm. And um, and I guess people, you know, Adam Hansen, he did uh, the Ironman in Florida a little while ago, which is pretty cool that, a you know, mm. a current World Tour pro just does an Ironman in his off-season and, and people say, oh, how much time did he put into everyone on the bike? I said, well, Andrew Starkowitz rode 14 minutes faster. Mm. <laughs> so um, That's it. it it's, really it's makes people scratch their head. <laughs> yeah. And I feel yeah. like you, I really do feel like it's it's you've come home to the place that you're going to excel the most in. And and that's crazy to think when we look at the resume you have in the other two sports you've done. And and. I just feel like obviously we haven't seen the best of you. I, I think we're we're starting to scratch the surface, and and I know the other pros are like, yeah, this guy's this guy's legit because it's not it's the quick learning curve you've had. And I want to sort of just talk about your ability to build your team. Yeah. Um, 
not just and I like to look at a team both in relationships of family and and the support you get like you said your your wife and and that support structure and then the experts that you're working with um that truly want the best for you and I'm 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 interested to hear you know how you've gone about building your team specifically you know in this triathlon world yeah I mean as I said from a young age I've I've learned the importance of that and and I've been so fortunate throughout my whole sporting life to always be surrounded by the best. The the fortuitous thing was I was home in, in 2016 was the year I was looking for the job and I'd sort of found the job and that was what I planned to do. And I went home to Tasmania for, you know, the summer, bit of a last holiday before I joined the real world, so to speak. And, um, back in, back in LA and, um, yeah, just out of the blue, I got a phone call from Tim Kerrison, uh, the head of performance at Team Sky and, he said that Froomey was, was up there training on his own and Richie had told him I was back and, you know, I like to talk, so it'd be great to keep Froomey company while you can keep up. And I thought, wow, that's a good way to go out of sport, go and train with the guy that's just won the tour for the third time. So <laughs> um, packed my bags and uh, off I went to the Gold Coast the next day. And, yeah, for the next 10 days, we, um, we beat the crap out of each other. That was... Um, Tim uh, made me just do everything about 10 metres behind him and um, he couldn't drop me. He didn't drop me once, not in one effort. And uh, at the end of the 10 days, they both said, listen, dude, you, you can't quit sport, you know. What do you, what do you want to do? And I said to Tim, you know what, I love triathlons. He said, look, I think, that's, I think you could be really good at that. And so he put me in the car and um, drove me down to Miami pool and, and threw me in the pool with, uh, with Sun Yang and Dennis Cottrell's group. I know that's quite controversial now, but um, Tim was a, a physiologist with the Olympic, um, with the Australian Olympic team and then the Great Britain team in, in 2008. And so he's very well connected with all the swimming coaches and he felt Dennis was the best one to get me up and running. And um, yeah, so how's that for an introduction? You know, you, you go for a, a ride with Chris Froome that morning and then you're swimming with, uh, you know, with Dennis Cottrell and Sun Yang that afternoon. You, um, it's like the universe won't let you retire from sport yeah, no matter what you try to do. That, that's it. And so, you know, that's been the, the nucleus of our group um, for the first sort of couple of years. And I think after Kona, so the goal in 2017 was to make it to Kona and just making it. I mean, I was the 50th one. It was ranking points back then. I was starting way behind the eight ball, and it wasn't until the last race in, in Sweden that, uh, you know, I qualified by coming second, just snuck in and, yeah, went to Kona and um, I went along to Red Bull after that. They've, you know, they've been very supportive of me since I entered the sport. And uh, Per Lundestrom said, you know, about, you know, hey, what are you doing about the running? I said, well, we haven't really thought about that yet. We've just been trying to learn to swim and figure out the sport. And um, so he, he dialed up the phone to Brett Kirby, who, of course, is uh, Elliot Kipchoge's, um, you know, key physiologist at Nike and the Breaking 2 team. And so next thing, you know, to the start of 2018, uh, you know, I'm, I'm following the same running program as Elliot uh, to, the, mm. to the day. You know, obviously very different pacing and um, where he'd do a lot of, uh, you know, filler, filler miles that they'd say, you know, his endurance, extra miles, mm. his easy runs, recovery runs, whatever. I'd mm. be on the bike or, or swimming. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, five weeks before Italy, I remember, and five weeks before he did his breaking two thing. Um, and for, you know, our, our programs kind of went linear because he raced London when I raced Ironman Australia earlier mm. in the year. And, and then obviously building up for Kona was, was him building up for breaking two. And yeah, we did a two hour run and, uh, I did my 30 K, you know, up here in Andorra. So a bit of altitude and elevation and up and down, but still, pretty good going for me and and he uh 
he ran 40, 41. <laughs> <laughs> the world yeah. of sport is always humbling just when you think you've done something special there's always just something to bring you back yeah. down isn't it it's like yeah. oh man i just had the run of my life oh crap yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was quite mind-boggling, and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I've just been just like I mean, I literally, Greg, like I don't have a, I don't have a, I don't wish I had a sponsor that I don't have. I don't have a coach. Oh, there's no coach I wish I that I don't have. I yeah. have access to everything I could ever dream about, and <laughs> certainly when I started getting into the sport, dream that this would be how you should do it or how yeah. I should do it. Um, and Tim Kerrison obviously is, has been really in, influential in, in making all that happen, you know, and, and I guess the, you know, the guys at Red Bull with, but Brett, you know, at Nike and, and then more of the guys there, he's, he's partner Brad and the team there. I mean, they've, yeah, they've just been, been so good to me. I mean, there's not many even Nike athletes that get access to the highest performance, you know, yeah. support. But you're a, you're a very I think I think the key is is people are drawn to your energy. You're a coachable athlete. You're a likable guy. You're confident to the point that you know you're not arrogant, but you're like yeah, let's let's give this a good go. And I think those qualities are what tend to attract people to you. And and when you're building a team, it's amazing. Uh, you know, when I look back at the teams that we built around us, it, it's like I was always amazed that these people wanted the, truly the best for me. And they were prepared yeah. to really work with me, and and what I can tell with you, it's that's what's going on. I think there's a there's a deep belief that you're going to do something special, and that yeah. I don't think that's pressure. I think that's just you know the way you carry yourself and the way they see the physical, mental, and emotional you. I think it's uh, I think they can see that, and I think it's you know, like you said, it starts with Tim Kerrison and the introductions that he's made, and uh, you know, and then people are just drawn to you, and I think that's what's fantastic about the team that you've created. It's it's not normal in our sport to have sort of uh, individualized coaches, you know, as much at the top level. People, I mean, even this year we had, you know, a little bit with, you know, with the running and, and, and Tim obviously tied up with the, you know, with the tour and the guys doing that. And kind of Brett was, I guess, more involved, you know, day to day because Tim was kind of preoccupied. And um, mm. I kind of, people would say, oh, how do they put it all together? I say, well, they don't really even talk. Um, it's kind of like NFL. We've got an offense and a defense. And at the moment, my cycling is my offense and the runs are defense and, wow. <laughs> and they're, both, well, they're, both, like they're both focusing on they're both focusing on me being the best as I possibly can be at each yeah. one of them. And, and, and then uh, you're managing it the best you can, right? And you're managing it. it yeah. I mean, they know that I'll say something if I don't think I can handle it. But um, yeah, we um, we seem to find a way and um yeah it was but uh, you've got some incredible training partners too with chris Froome and garant thomas and yeah you know i mean these guys it's it's like you always say you always surround yourself with the very very best i mean yeah. you, you can't get any better in endurance sport you know it's yeah. you're surrounding with people that are living a life of pure intent and they're going to get the ma- most out of themselves and and, and I guess you wouldn't be a threat to them. So they're going to open up to you a little bit now. Like, I mean, that's, maybe they that's did. That's, I think, the key, you know, and that's yeah, people yeah. that said, oh, do you want to go back to racing on the road? I mean, next week I'll go to the Ineos camp, um, you know, in Mallorca. I'll be with the guys. And I mean, of course, we've spoken about that, you know. I mean, Dave's mentioned that, you know, Dave Brailsford, you know, have him race at some point. Um, it's far from on my radar at the moment. My biggest focus at the moment is, 
continuing to progress with the run and improve my swimming um, to, to a point that, um, you know, I can be more competitive. And But, you know, maybe in the next year or two or three, um, yeah, I might end up uh, back back racing on the road. But, uh, yeah, having, having guys like that believe in you also gave me a huge amount of self-belief. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing, you know, I'd get criticized for back when I was at Cannondale was I trained too hard. And then what that does is you, you second guess yourself, don't you? You know, you go to a race and you think, oh, I've trained too hard and you don't race well. So you think you've trained too hard. So then you don't train as hard so that you don't go well. And then you train hard again and you start going better. And then they tell you to train easy. And it was just a disaster. And um, Tim Kerrison is the first coach that he'll, he'll admit, he'll, he'll wait and see, you know, till you put your toe over the edge, you know, and you go over it and then figure out how to, how to pull you back a little bit and and um, he admits that his philosophy doesn't work with you know every athlete but you know you look at a guy like Chris Froome who was sort of almost in obscurity till 28 but always regarded as this amazing engine and and mm. crazy work ethic um, switched coaching to Tim and whammo you know look what's happened and wow. um, and that has I mean you'd know that there's there's there'd be endless examples of that in sport you know a change of environment and absolutely off people go and uh and that's a big been a big thing i think with tim tim and i and um i remember bradley wiggins we had a conversation in 2013 uh when sky actually were trying to were looking at signing me and i already had a contract with cannondale so it didn't work out but he said to me he said you know at this level to do it like this without without cheating he said it, you have to have everything in your life perfect. You have to have your family perfect. You have to have the team perfect, the sponsors. Everything has to be perfect, and then you can throw everything at it. He said, until you've got that, forget it in this day and age. It's just not going to happen. And, yep, uh, and exactly, you know, I've come back into sport very cautiously with those words. I've, I've said all along, you know, if I can't have the best stuff around me, I don't need to be doing sport anymore. I've, I've, I've done plenty of sport, but <laughs> I found myself with the absolute, I just couldn't have even scripted it the way, well, I could have in my wildest dreams. I just guess I never really believed it would happen. Um, mm. So, um, Well, you're yeah, still was, young in terms of sport. I mean, you're 36, right? Yeah. I mean, I if you look, uh, if I look at my career just personally, uh, just shy of 40th, I won uh, what was called the high V triathlon. Um, yeah. It was an Olympic distance, you know, it was a 200 grand win plus bonuses. Yeah. And so it was a decent paycheck. And and I remember just feeling invincible. Like I could take a deep breath in at the start line and exhale at the finish. I was that fit. I was that strong and powerful. And and then everyone's like, oh, he's so old. And then you look at Crowey when Crowey won um, his final race. He was yeah. uh, just shy of uh, 40. 40 as well. And he went at 8.03. Yeah. And then Jan Fredino is the second oldest guy to win Kona now with a new course record. And he's... Yeah. 38 i think almost 39 but 39 and so if you start to look at endurance sport um not just endurance sport i mean we're looking at tom brady and some of the quarterbacks and uh, sport has changed now dramatically because of the resources that athletes have because of the knowledge that we have um the only thing that that really will stop you you can't substitute is the years of work i mean you can't make that up no um, endurance, you know, stamina, resilience. You can't. Yeah, it's all in you. That. It's all yeah. in you. Yeah. I mean, in the past, in the doping era, yeah, it could be accelerated, but yeah. <laughs> now, did you see much of that in cycling? I mean, not that you want to talk about. I don't want to talk about it too much, but was that something you saw? And 
had to sort of stay clear of? Uh, no, no, to be honest, no. Um, I think yeah. as certainly as I came in, you know, there was on the back of that Operation Puerto thing, uh, we had yeah. another little scandal in, uh, I can't remember what year it was, but um, 2012, the, um, yeah, there was something else there. But yeah, but you haven't seen it come across your table like they, no, they Oh, no, definitely, personally not. I mean, I remember uh, going to my first medical with liquid gas and, um, you know, they asked me my blood type was one of the first things. Not yeah. because they were planning on blood doping me, but I had to call my mum because I had no idea. Yeah, and yeah, they course. started laughing, you know, like I said, what's, this, what's so funny? I've got no idea what my blood type is. <laughs> and um, they said, well, we know you haven't been blood doping. I said, well, I could have told you that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. that was, if that was a trick question. So, yeah. um, no, I think fortunately for me, you know, I've never, well, the way I answer it is I've never felt that the reason I haven't succeeded in anything, in any of my sports, you know, or reached the very top isn't because of doping. It's because I, I haven't been good enough. And I've always felt that if I can do this and do that and work hard and get there, then I, it, is, it is possible. Um, yeah. Whereas I, from the stories I hear, you know, uh, back in the day, you know, it just wasn't. <laughs> so, it was um, right. Yeah. 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 And, and uh, I think I, I, never thought, I, that. I really think triathlons are a very, very clean sport. I think you get a lot of the B-grade pros, C-grade pros that will point fingers. But yeah. generally speaking, the guys that are at the top, it's like, what are you talking about? You know, yeah. and and I I've always see how it would really help you anyway. Um, no, look, I don't know sport. anything about them. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, well, that's it. Yeah. I mean, well, from what I, what I do know, I mean, obviously I race, I, I became very close with Ivan Basso and he's obviously, um, you know, had a suspension and, and quite comfortable to talk about it. He served his ban. He came back, he did it right and, and retired. Mm. But um, the biggest thing is, is uh, your recovery, you know, is your ability to recover in a race, you know, I'm back up sort of um, day after day. And yeah, uh, yeah, 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 okay, that might help you in your preparation a bit for an Ironman, but you'd still have to do the work. And uh, yeah. But it's certainly not going to help you so much on the actual day. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, we don't need to talk about it much more. I, no, I actually, it <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm curious as to, I've got a few questions more about, you know, how you're sort of going about what you're doing. And, and the first yeah. one is kind of, you know, your sleep and recovery. Are you focused heavily on sleep? Do you measure it or you just try and get the best sleep you can? No, um, yeah, Brett, uh, the night guy sent me a, a diagram, something telling me to try and sleep more. Um, there's a study. <laughs> yeah, that. yeah. Uh, try and sleep. I sort of generally sleep about eight hours, but. I try and get eight to ten per day, so I try and have a nap and sleep eight to nine at night um, mm. during the afternoon. But yeah, certainly nothing, uh, nothing scientific about no, it. No, and and I think I'm if you're getting enough sleep, sleep you, mm. you can feel it. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. with you. I think I think sometimes the wearables and all the tech gets a little too far with some of this stuff. I think if you're struggling yeah. with sleep and you're feeling foggy, yeah, it's worth measuring. But I think if yeah. things are ticking along, it's. Uh, and what about your nutrition? Are you you know. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, the the my wife is she's actually doing a master's in holistic nutrition, so I just eat what's put in front of me. Um, Wonderful, yeah, you're the same as me, mate. We're spoiled rotten with women that care about what goes into our bodies. Yeah, yeah, and she prides herself on obviously making something as healthy as possible that tastes great. So I never, never question, never have a bad meal, and um, and uh, yeah, I just eat, but certainly we eat. You know, there's no. I guess we probably don't eat a lot of dairy, um, but, um, you know, I guess not a lot of gluten. Certainly don't have much alcohol, not because I'm you know, against alcohol or anything. I just yeah, don't, don't crave it, don't desire it. Um, 
and uh, yeah, just eat really well, really. Um, mm. Just a good, even you know, balanced diet. I don't see, I don't have any allergies or reactions to anything, so that's that's good. Yeah. And, and that's the big thing I noticed, you know, with, with initially when I was with the team Sky guy, you know, it was Team Sky back then at all the camps. The the thing is, there's just always good food around. You know, you finish the ride, you you know, you get up for breakfast, and there's beautiful spread of breakfast. You know, and you you finish your training session, there's lunch. You know you know, salads and pasta and rice and, you know, meat, and good, you know, good sparkling water and juice and things. And you never, ever crave crap um, because yeah. you're just filling yourself. You're satisfied. Yeah, yeah, you're always satisfied. That's the key, isn't it? And yeah. what about for, for your training and, and, well, specifically racing? Is there any, uh, I mean. Uh, well, I think you- the big thing, that's probably been a big change for me. I mean, when I was cycling, you know, you'd, you'd do what you did at home and then you'd go to race and you'd, do what everyone else did and <laughs> you thought yeah. that was right or what the team told you to do um, yeah. and that and I never I never felt comfortable racing my bike ever um, you know mm. just just didn't yeah I just never felt good and um, anyway with this you know training with Froomey, um first up you know was noticed that he he does he's got a pocket full of gels you know on a hard day he's, he's smashing gels you know and he's got sugar in his bottles and He's got caffeine, you know, espresso shots in his pocket for a hard, uh, hard interval that he prepares mm. before we get on the road, and um, and so I guess training wise, I I really kind of mimic a lot of the stuff I have in racing, and and then uh, once you get to a race, it's it's just pretty standard. So yeah, and my my diet plan is not that technical. I have about ten gels or so, or the equivalent of. I've cut back a bit this year. I've started having well with Italy and Kona had going back to six gels and then the equivalent in, you know, cl- cliff blocks or some sort of jube lolly um, yeah. in calories and then just electrolytes in my bottles. That's one big thing I do is I don't have sugar in my bottles at all. It's just electrolyte or water. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I get on the run, yeah, I've got an isotonic drink that we've developed that, that SIS have developed for the team. Uh, they call it Classics Fuel um, because, you know, the guys put it in their bottles in the classics so they don't have to take their hands off the bars to reach around to their pocket. It's easy to have a drink and it's similar to the Mertens stuff. So, um, yeah, so I have, have those on the run and, and that's sometimes a gel or so on top or a few cups of Coke here and there to top it up. But, yeah, pretty straightforward. And, um, yeah, I, I don't seem to have – if you look at my results, I'm probably one of the more consistent professionals. <laughs> Um, oh, all my times are, are pretty, are pretty, pretty level. So, um, you know, I, I don't tend to have too many dramas with them. Um, yeah, diet. you have no gut, gut, gut issues or anything like no, that. No. And how often are you getting? You're getting a lot of body work done, or do yeah. you get chiropractic? What What are you yeah, getting? I don't get too much into that. I, I don't really. I mean, touch wood, but I don't get injured um, unless I crash. Um, this year, a couple of weeks <laughs> before Roth, I crashed and broke my nose and a rib. But um, oh, shit. Yeah. Apart from that, um, yeah, I have massage, yeah, three to four times a week. I, I generally, and I have a lady come to the house, and um, she's worked with me all year, and and that's been been fantastic. And uh, particularly after the key runs, so you know, I definitely have a hard run Tuesdays, like I guess everyone generally it's at the track, and Thursdays is a long run, and uh, generally Saturdays is a is another sort of intense sort of a run. So mm-hmm. definitely after those sessions, and then. You know, if I need it in between, um, maybe even Friday as well uh, before that hard day on Saturday. Um, but yeah, three to four times a week, I'll, I'll have a massage, and that's really more. Well, uh, firstly, obviously, massage is great, but as you know, when you're training hard, 
the last thing you feel like doing is stretching or doing any of that stuff. Any of them, um, mate. Even, even get, I got to the point in my end of my career, I didn't want to hop on massage tables anymore. I'm like, yeah, I even yeah. don't want to, I just want to, I just don't want to do anything. And that's when I started to realize, hang on, if I, you know, not even wanting to get a massage, it's kind of like, okay, maybe, maybe your time's up. But yeah, um, yeah. You know, we, we had for the longest time, we had a live-in massage therapist and cook. So, okay. uh, and the cook was great because they did all the grocery shopping and then we'd cook all the meals and, and then he'd give us a, well, while he was sort of before dinner, he'd, you know, every day we'd get sort of a half hour, 45 minute massage at the end of the day. And it was one of the best things we did, found, found a young guy who was a chef who was yeah. also a massage therapist. And it was fantastic just to have that continual body work over and over again and, I know Jan Fredino sort of saw us doing that and he's gone out and, you know, he now travels with a full-time sort of physical body guy. Um, yeah. But but Jan also is somebody that, you know, being such, you know, six foot four, yeah. tends to have a little bit more niggles and, and things that maybe needs to stay on top of it more than more than you do. Um, yeah. And and so he's had to really heavily invest in the sort of the bodywork side of things. And yeah, are you um, are you getting much? Do you sort of follow your general health? Are you are you getting a lot of blood work done these days just to monitor anything, or do you do anything like that? None. That's one thing about Enios. I guess people you know would think that they're big on all that stuff, but they're not. I mean, Tim Kerris in particular. I've yeah. never even done a lab test, as in physical test. We've never had a, a lactate machine out training. <laughs> He yeah, reckons yeah. he can see everything he needs to see with his with his eyes. I mean, if you get sick or something, I I tend to not really get sick. I mean, since I've been with Fallon, she's you know obviously super into her health and wellness, and very very rarely do we get do we get sick. I tend to get sick after Kona each year, which is pretty normal. Um, you sort of chalk that up to you know part of the sport. Yeah, absolute <laughs> fatigue. Of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolute fatigue, and you know even um, but no, uh, absolutely. Absolutely none. Had an ECG recently, and and that's about it. So, um, you know, yeah. I love that. it's music to my ears because I always feel like it's a little old school when you're not the guy that's testing everything, you know. Yeah. And I've always felt like, and even the way I've you know consult with athletes now, it's I'm a, I'm a big believer in you know staying in tune with yourself and yeah. and really recognizing when things are up and down. But you know, the whole wearables and everybody's testing everything, you know, whether it be blood and DNA or whatever it is, it's just yeah. constant testing and i'm kind of like but it's just a snapshot at that given moment what about yeah. what if i go outside you know later and i don't know run 5k yeah. and eat chocolate non-stop well, i'm going to get different result of blood yeah. test later okay so anyway i think yeah. tim's right on the money i um i'm pretty sure i've crossed paths with tim at some point um yeah. but I, i'd love to probably get him on the show one of these days just to have a chat because he sounds like a really bright guy and uh, a good guy to have in your corner and I get uh, moving on. Um, you seem like a really confident guy. Do you practice sort of any mental strategies? Are you visualizing a lot? Do you use word affirmations or anything like that? No, uh, no. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> no. I guess that um, I, um, you know, Jan sent me a nice message after Kona uh, where he, he sort of said, you know, there's a lot of people that talk a lot in this sport, but it was great to see you back that up on the weekend. And, um, you know, I guess I've grown in confidence to be able to speak more freely in this sport and be myself uh, after it having probably been bashed out of me in cycling um, through not performing or, or, or whatever or just different sort of culture there. Um, so, um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I figure, you know, you <laughs> it's a race that you go to win. You know, I mean, I know that the chances sometimes of winning, especially going to Kona, are, very bleak against the best in the world but um 
if you're not trying to do that, then what's the point in being there? I mean, <laughs> so, well, it's, a, uh, it's an interesting yeah. topic for me. I mean, I, uh, you know, I actually do a lot of one of my favorite things is is to discuss the mental strategies, and I think there's a, a room for keeping it simple, stupid. You know, it's like it it, it really is. You can overthink these things. Um, I, I know personally, for me, you know, probably for the first half of my career, I had a winning rate of about ten percent, and and it was around that sort of 06 time I changed it to over, you know, probably one in two races I started to win. And for me personally, it was because I really sat down and um, really focused heavily on visualizing and, and changing my body the best I could through through seeing what I wanted to get. And it, it took a lot of practice at first, but then I think I've kind of got those creative juices that I started to be able to see winning. And often it was a year out, which then yeah. affects the training that you're doing. So it's one thing yeah. to say is visualizing, but often the visualizing is just creating making the goal more real and yeah. so it makes your training more purposeful. Um, yeah, yeah but- I mean, I'll tell you, you know, I mean, I, I saw very clearly, you know, what would happen in Australia and Italy. I certainly didn't see myself. I wanted to win Kona, but, yeah, I didn't get the same. <laughs> well, I did early in the year, but I didn't in those last four weeks leading in. Or last, yeah, you-, you know, three weeks leading in after Italy, they, they kind of disappeared. I um. And you can't fool yourself with that stuff. It's like you yeah. you got to stay honest, you know. And yeah. it's, it's it's a difficult one. I know yeah. my wife, my wife Laura can't visualize. She's and so yeah. the way we would do it is I would often do my hard run the day before hers, and then for my recovery run, or it was still at pace because she's still running, you know, thirty four minute ten k. But yeah, I, I would do commentary next to her, and so yeah. for her repeats, we'd be commentating, and then I, you know, by the final K, it'd be like, you know, stand up, America, here she comes, and and we'd be flying. <laughs> stadium and you know it was all make-believe obviously and uh but then you know she'd be just charging down the final kilometer and throwing her arms in the air and we'd get right into it um through that sort of fun commentary and and that kind of stuff but some people you know i spoke to simon whitfield recently and and he was very much you know a creative thinker and he's he says because he played you know what was that name um dungeons and dragons or something as a yeah. kid so he's very creative so he he found visualizing really worked well for him but it's it's yeah. interesting to hear that how simple you keep it i mean we've gone through your sleep nutrition body work and and i think there's something to really take away from that it's yeah. you know you've been around the best in the world in three different sports and you're not you're not blown away or confused by just doing the work keeping it simple and i'm there to win and uh, i think that's really refreshing yeah, uh, you know, the, I also come to terms with the fact that I've always been very good at training. I am capable of training very, very hard. So if I don't feel like I can do it, okay, there's the difference between obviously don't really want to do it when you really should do it and when, yeah, you just can't do it and your body doesn't really shouldn't be doing it. And uh, I've learned that I don't push that and I wait till I'm ready. You know, even if it's you wake up at eight and you feel it was seven and you want to go to the pool but you feel a bit crappy, um, I might wait till 11 and then I feel great, you know, or, you know, I might not finish my run at the gym on the treadmill till 9.30 at night, you know. Um, I'm really confident that, you know, I, I can train at a pretty good intense, a pretty good level that um, it's much more productive that I do that than uh, force it in. Um, mm. So, um, yeah, and, uh, you know, the... The, the years of, you know, cycling where I did train really well and didn't perform in racing makes you realize the importance of performing in races. And that starts with performing when you have to perform in training and, exactly. um, you know, the yep. key sessions. And if you can always nail them, 
it's pretty likely that you're going to go to the race and get it right or at least mostly right. I remember my years with Brett Sutton as my coach from 96 to early 2000 and I can't tell you how many amazing training workouts I had where, you know, you definitely end and you go, yeah, I was the fittest guy in the world for sure. Yeah. And then the race would turn up and you couldn't get out of your own way. And it's like, yeah. damn, you know, and it was like, yeah. how many how many races did I leave in training? It's, it's, uh, and I think, you know, it sounds like you've got a pretty good grasp on that now after years of cycling, kind of going, no, let's, let's leave the big training sessions. Or what I love about you is you, you, you're doing these five Ironmans a year. So you're getting five key workouts done really, really well uh, yeah. that are very, very specific to what you need to be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you've got any, just for anybody listening in any sort of gear recommendations, you know, swim, bike, run, stuff that you'd sort of encourage people to go, you know, either buy for their training and racing or, or any sponsors you want to plug? Gosh, uh, I mean, a pool boy is a lifesaver, isn't it? I, <laughs> I, like, I got to the point I love my wetsuit shorts. Everyone gave me the hardest uh, time. Yeah, I, I can't bring myself to do that. Josh Andrew, who came and trained with me for a bit, and he had them on. I was like, I, God, man. Mate, sure it changed you don't need my them with me. No, 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 mate. I'm telling you, it changed my swimming from it had started. I was sort of a front pack lead swimmer in the ITU days, early, early noughties. And then my yeah. swimming started to go downhill. But by 2011, I was sitting on Javier Gomez's feet in any race we did. And, yeah. um, and that was because of the wetsuit shorts. I took the pool boy out and I only did the wetsuit shorts. So I, I love that oh. person. But, um, yeah, well, because you've given me a tip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it allowed me to swim more normally. And what it did when I turned up to the pool fatigued, which you are 90% of the time, yeah. it allowed me to get more meters swimming mm-hmm. done in a better form. It put me yeah. in a good position in the pool and I could push a little bit harder. Yeah. And the pool boy would just stiffen up my hips a little bit and wouldn't allow the rotation that I wanted. And yep. whereas the, the wetsuit shorts, mate, it was uh, everyone laughed at me in Boulder. You can imagine all the pro, pro athletes, you know, yeah. pro triathletes in boulder and i'm like nah and suddenly i'm starting to you know outswim these guys and yeah. they're like huh all of a sudden tim van burkle everybody's starting to turn up in wetsuit shorts the whole time <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah poor bugger should go back to them his swim hasn't uh, improved uh, in a while poor bloke. Yeah. he needs a refresh up a little bit i think you know like yeah. you said yeah but um i guess uh you know one thing i guess everyone knows but i don't spend a lot of time on the time trial bike um you know, I spend enough to be comfortable in the position uh, for, for the race. But, um, Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I spend most of my time on the road bike. For starters, it's more comfortable. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it's more, more uh, friendly, you know, you can more social. You can spend a lot of hours with people. It's not very yeah. social riding a, a triathlon bike or a TT yeah. bike. Um, and I find that that makes my cycling, you know, quite a lot more productive. Um, yeah. and, uh, and then shoes. I mean, yeah, again, I guess I... I'm speaking like a pro here because I've got multiple of everything. But, um, yeah, I have, you know, quite a few pairs of shoes that I rotate through. You know, I never wear the same shoes twice and uh, keep the you know keep them all pretty fresh. And <laughs> I, I'm sure that's contributed to, you know, being able to – leading up to Kona, I think from January to Kona, I basically averaged 100K a week uh, running and mm. um, without any, any dramas at all. So, um, Who's yeah. your shoes? Sponsor? Are you with Nike? Nike. Yeah. Yeah. So you're right. What do you think of those new shoes that they're bringing out that everyone's talking about? The, <laughs> I, next the, thing, the thing is that the Nike stuff is it's all I've ever used. I mean, um, they I guess the breaking two thing happened in 2017 when I started getting into the sport and you know heard about the shoes, so I I just bought the shoes and had a had a running buddy of mine in uh, Tassie that 
told me they were really good, you know, because I always thought Nike, whatever, it's the brand. But he said, no, these are really good, mate. And that was how I learned to run, you know, with that huge drop and um, yeah. with the original, you know, I guess they were the vapor zoom flies or something, vapor flies or something. And then yeah, they yeah. had the four percent, so I had them and. Um, and then, uh, of course, you know, then I, you know, got introduced to Nike in 2018 and have obviously had, you know, the newest, you know, stuff since then. And yeah, the, yeah, I mean, to me, they feel, they feel great. I think the key is, um, people think that they'll run faster in them. I mean, I guess there's people think they do some, I think some people definitely do if their style permits it. Uh, yeah. but we're still not running 235 in Kona. So they can't, uh, be, they can't be making that much of a difference. Um, although we have but, seen the guys wearing them have, have looked like, whether it's be Ben Hoffman, um, yeah. Yeah, have, we have seen their best run performances. It could be just coincidental. Um, said that, Ben ran 240 in, you know, in South Africa a few years ago. Um, I did too. So, you did too. You're right. You know, and, uh, and, yeah. I'm tempted to get myself a pair. i got a 10K coming up and I haven't run in about two years and I'm hoping to break 40 minutes. So I'm, I'm okay. hoping they're going to be what <laughs> I'm sure you'll be able to. You know, the great thing about them is that they are so forgiving. You know, and that's, yeah, I think, been yeah. another reason why I've been able to race more and recover better because the return from the from the foam, that's that's the concept. The concept wasn't so much, oh, you'll run faster. The concept was that they won't beat you up as much, so you're going to feel fresher longer while you're running. And mm-hmm. not only that, be able to back up day after day to do the work required, you know, which was what they were trying to do with pushing that two-hour barrier initially with Kipchoge and, and then, of course, they've continued to refine it to the point where he, you know, blew it away this time. Wasn't um, it fantastic? So, yeah, yeah. And so, and incidentally, Tim Kerrison was one of the key parts of that second one. You know, it was obviously the Ineos challenge and, and Tim was sort of a yeah, mission control master in that, in that room controlling the pace car and, and, and relaying to, to Brett. You know, Brett was on the push bike beside um, Elliot and, and going through all that. So, um yeah, um, so that's that's pretty cool to have that sort of knowledge. So, yeah, I'm yeah. pretty confident that I can speak with some um, intelligence around uh, footwear, and uh, and I'm not plugging Nike, but they're the only shoes I've ever worn <laughs> doing this. So oh, that's yeah, all I've Nike. got experience with. Yeah, you're welcome to plug Nike. I think they've been pioneers for many many years. I know there's a lot of hype around a lot of things, but I do yeah. think that. They've done very well here. And I remember that first breaking too, now that you mentioned it, you know, and I watched that. I thought, how sterile was it? And I I wrote Iliad because we're kind of friends on Twitter and we we text each other, you know, direct message each other. And and I said, mate, the one thing you really missed there was there was no crowd. There was no – and and as athletes, we we, we draw upon the crowds and the emotion of sport to get that next gear out of us. And and, uh, he wrote me back going, yeah, that's a really good idea. And so now I feel like, well, I was a part of it too now. You know, everyone takes their little bit. Um, And then I noticed, you know, this last one and the the crowds were lining the street, especially, you know, the final sort of half hour or so. And and you could just see the energy that that was there as well. And I think that was a a big difference. I think that, uh, you know, that first one they did around Monza, around the Formula One track, like you said, was um, pretty uh, it was just it felt like they should have all been in lab coats and and, yeah. and had this guy and i was like oh this isn't sport you're missing something but this next time around it really felt like an event and uh yeah. it was truly amazing to to witness and so um what are your plans for 2020 mate you oh one other thing that i love yeah. is that bicarb cream the amp human stuff um, yeah what is that what i is actually that? do have equity in that company so i i guess i should tell everyone that but that yeah. is 
but I, I, I was another thing like the shoes. I thought, what a gimmick. I mean, whatever. You know, bicarb. Yeah. When, when, I, oh, it's, it's bicarb. It's the bicarb cream, Amp Human, it's called. Yeah, it was called Topical Edge at first. And they have a patent for a topical application that can get through the skin and into the muscle. And huh. I'm sure you were the same, you know, back, I mean, I remember when I was 16, 17 doing a rowing test and stealing mum's bike up out of the kitchen and measuring it up and <laughs> trying to fix it with something palatable to um, block some lactic acid. And yeah. often you just crack yourself or something. So you never knew if it worked or not. And then, and then they had the pills, you know, you could take the bike up the sodium bicarbonate tablets and same thing would happen. And, um, yeah, these guys came out with this to it just go straight to your muscle wherever you apply it. And, uh, for about a year, I thought, what a load of crap. And and one day I was I was doing a bit of a sort of a track session, but just out in front of the house. And it was um you know it was, it was four one k's, and I I was doing them at, at four minutes three forty five, the uh, three thirty, and then three fifteen, and then mm-hmm. have a bit of recovery in between, and then do it again. And the first yeah. one I blew up in the three fifteen. I was just struggling, but. I led an emergency um, jog bog and so I went inside and sitting on the throne and, and I saw the cream there and I thought, I'm going to lather up and see what happens in this second set. And I remember that was the first day I ran a, a three-minute K. And, um, yeah, I mean, it took a couple, but all of a sudden after a couple of them, the, the, the four and the 345 of the second set, just, you know, the legs just felt great. And, um, yeah, so since then, I um, yeah key sessions, and I use it as a massage cream because it's meant to be great for recovery uh, as well. Just you know, limiting the amount of gunk in your muscles. I mean, that's what you know it's blocking lactic acid and, and that build up. And um, obviously for racing, uh, put it all over my whole body. And particularly the biggest thing I've noticed with it, and Jimmy Johnson, the NASCAR driver, gave me this tip, was. Mm-hmm. He puts it on his inside backside cheek when he drives the car, and now he doesn't have any sort. Like normally, it just goes numb because of the oval. Yeah, now yeah. the next day, he can go for a ride, go for a run, do whatever the hell he wants. Um, so I, the biggest complaints I would have after Ironmans, this will sound so stupid, but I get sunburnt lips, particularly <laughs> or a nose, um, and my neck would be sore from you know the TT position. Yeah, who, whoever whoever sits in that position for four hours and gets used to it, it's just. Pointless most, people most people sitting it for five or six, mate. So you're yeah. lucky you're only it for True. four. Anyway. <laughs> exactly. And so I started rubbing it on those neck muscles, and now I don't even get sore there. You know, this stuff is so good. So, okay. Um, so if I go to amphibian.com, yeah. yeah. right, you'll find it. Check it out. I need it. Yeah, it's good stuff. I call it the poor, poor, poor form prevention cream. And, poor form. Uh, yeah, and, and I mean, because I've come through rowing and, and cycling, where, as you know, bicarbon and sure Olympic distance triathlon, you know, has always been a thing we talked about through the AS days and, you know, the Australian mm-hmm. Institute of Sport days and everything else. You know, I've, um, I think I'm one of the more qualified ones to, to comment on it. <laughs> awesome, buddy. Well, I'm mm. going to check that out for sure. Yeah. Well, I don't want to take too much more of your time, but just yeah. quickly, what do you got planned for 2020 and, you know, the year coming up? And what do you go? <sighs> Uh, well, I mean, obviously, Kona is the big goal. Um, yeah, so that's the that's the big one. Um, I certainly like to do Challenge Roth again. That's sort of become the centerpiece of of my season. Uh, there's rumours that um, you know Yarn might be there, so that could be pretty exciting uh, for hopefully for everyone. Um, hopefully, I can challenge him a bit better than I did last year in Kona, and I'm make sure you it exciting. Will. And mm. um, yeah, I mean, I obviously, I would have, I would have loved to have had a good crack at the Olympics, but um, 
Um, I did a did an ITU race at the end of the year. I did survive 400 meters in the swim before I got dropped, so it's not all dire. But um, we did sort of make a bit of a plan to sort of continue to sort of look at that um, into the new year, and uh, but that involved doing Cape Town, um, and they've just cancelled that, and so it kind of pushes everything back. Yeah, I mean, just the the getting the ranking points and everything, it almost becomes impossible. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, which is a bit of a shame, but you know, that was obviously more of a, uh, potential opportunity to help Jacob Bertwistle, um, you know, set him mm-hmm. up for a, for a good result, you know, or give him a better chance of, of a good result there. But, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's still something I haven't given up on, but that's obviously in triathlon Australia's hands, you know, working out how that's even possible and, um, mm. and then, and then figuring out what I want to do, but the means to the end was always for me to improve my swimming, which, you know, I learned this year in Kona that, uh, you know, all those guys at the front were all ITU guys. So um, not that I say I need to race ITU to, to be as good a swimmer as them, but that's certainly the key focus. Well, I have that and, background. I mean, that's why I stopped racing ITU even towards the end there. Once I stopped not being able to swim sort of 4.30 long course for 400 metres, I was like, yeah. okay, ITU is done. Uh, yeah. You know, if, if I can't break the minute for the first 100 and then, you know, swim a 430 long course and i started swimming you know 445 450 uh, i was like okay <laughs> it, yeah. it really is very very fast there um you know and then they're backing it up obviously with lightning fast runs and yeah. the bike obviously you you'd have no problem um yeah but that, that swim and then they bike well as people don't That's understand cool. that these guys are they're charging at the front. When they get a group together, I mean, you could be as strong as you are on the bike, but, you yeah. know, one man versus, you know, five, six, seven guys that are actually prepared to work together. Is, yeah. It's, you know, you it's might be able to hold that gap for three to five minutes, but you yeah. get six, seven guys working. It's it's pretty tough to, yeah. to compete. No, you, you can't do it. That's what I learned. Yeah. So um, the only yeah. opportunity is to make it in the swim. But, you know, the, the reality is I need to improve my swimming. It was, I guess, also something I cooked up in my own mind as a good way to make me do it. But, I don't need I don't need to do that to make myself improve swimming. I, I can train hard. I prove that with my running and um, and try and make. Well, you I got a lot of tips person. if you ever want, if you ever want some tips on how I got my swimming back, which went disastrous, and then I did a, quite a few little things. Just send me a note. I'm happy to help you and send a few little things. It's nothing crazy, but um, like the wetsuit shorts and stuff like that. We're, we're, and then swimming with a towel around my ankle, um, wow. you know, to really get that front end strength happening, which I did do with a pool boy, but. Uh, yeah. That that changed my swimming. Um, I remember Sydney World Series race in 2010, coming out of the water, sort of fourth or fifth there, and that all I'd been doing is swimming with a towel around my ankle, which is that really specific strength work. You yeah. know, I'm not, I'm not a fan of doing gym weights. Well, I wasn't. I am now, but uh, yeah. at the time, and just doing that, putting that towel around your ankle, and and uh, that that really helps with specific strength. And then you take that towel off and you'll just fly in the water and then you do a bit of speed work after it. It works really well, but all right. So how do people find you? We wrap it up. You you wrap a bungee cord with a bit of um, high density rubber around the bungee cord and then you wrap it around the hull of the boat. Oh, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you're getting that resistance training. You feel amazing. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. How do people follow you? How do do we find uh, you? Oh, well, I guess just my name. My name's everything. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's always just my name. Um, I'm actually not sure what my exact names are at any of them. My Strava is probably my most interesting thing to follow, though. Yeah, that's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. 
I've never heard trying, I mean, obviously, we all have problems with with our garments from time to time. I'm not. They not. They don't sponsor me, so I don't have to uh, not say that. Um, no. But uh, you know, stuff doesn't upload properly, or you know, yeah. it, it goes a bit skew. But um, I I try and get pretty much every session that I do up there. Um, like right. I said, yeah. No, if everyone wants to copy me, that's fine. Good luck. <laughs> Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure and, and fascinating to hear how you've been able to transition yourself and, and go so far. And I, I'm a big fan and I, I truly think, you know, we've got really some exciting years in front of us watching you race. So, um, you know, don't leave the sport too soon. I, I I don't want you to come into triathlon and go back to cycling too soon as somebody that, you know, I want to I want to see keep watching you for the next, you know, three to five years at least. Um, yeah. Just keep tearing it up. You've been fascinating to watch your progression and um, – you know all the very best mate thanks very much i'm not going anywhere i'm I'm just getting started good man all right stay on the line for a sec we'll stop recording now and thanks everybody for listening this is cameron worth that joined greg bennett great show thanks buddy pleasure thanks a lot for listening to be with champions if you enjoyed the show your support would truly be appreciated You can visit the Be With Champions Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.